Well, good morning again, and welcome to worship here at Trinity South Naperville. It's a joy to be worshiping with you and to be closing out this series that we've been calling Visions of Hope. Now, kind of the objective of the series was this. It was to deal with the subjects that were presented to the prophet Ezekiel many hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus. And the reason was is that God was leading his people Israel at that time through a very difficult experience of losing everything they valued. They lost their identity. They lost their homeland. They were taken away from the place where their temple was, where the center of their worship was. They were going to be conquered by pagan peoples and removed from their homeland and placed in another location that was foreign to them. They were going to be surrounded by foreign customs and tempted to take those customs on. But the difficulty of that, and the reason that happened is because they began to take those customs on from foreign gods and from foreign peoples before they were conquered. And they were warned, if you continue to place your faith in foreign gods and gods other than the one God who loves you and made you, then I'm going to chastise you, says the Lord. I'm going to lead you through a time of difficulty to bring you into my uh, uh, presence again and to bring you back into fellowship with me. See, that's the thing about our God, is that our God always tells the truth. God doesn't sugarcoat stuff. God doesn't butter you up. God is not made out of marshmallows. God is a God of truth. And when he speaks the truth, he says what he means and he means what he says. And whenever he says, this is the life that I have made for you, this is the way that life goes. It is trust in me and following my way, my way being Jesus. If you trust in that and follow me, you'll have a beautiful, abundant life and that life will never end. But if you choose to turn away from that life, it's gonna be difficult for you. So he painted that picture for Israel. And as the prophet Ezekiel was sharing this both bad news and then the good news, that God would never turn his back on them, but would bring them back into his presence, into his fellowship. As God was giving Ezekiel these words, he also gave him visions. So today, as we close out this five-week series, the vision of hope is a very clear one, and it's one that we can identify with. Ezekiel was given this vision of water. Now, how critical is water to your daily life? Have you had your water yet today? Your 16 ounces of water? Yeah, we've got some shaking their heads, yes. I had some water today too. It happened to have coffee in it. I'm just saying. The water was there. It happened to have some other stuff in it too, right? But water is so critical. Most of our bodies are made up of water. Most of the surface of the world is still covered with water. It's very critical. So Ezekiel received this vision of God. And in particular, it was in a series of visions that he had received that include the vision, included the vision of the Valley of the Dry Bones. So last week, we talked about this idea of Ezekiel being shown a field of soldiers that had been killed in battle and only their bones remained. And yet God called them into life again. Those bones rose up and all the ligaments and all the muscles and all the organs and all the gooey stuff that makes us up on the inside filled them up and they rose up into a vast army. God was demonstrating through Ezekiel to his people that he intended to raise them to life spiritually. And so he did this in this final vision by giving them this, this new way of seeing him through water. And the vision was basically this. Ezekiel saw the temple of God restored to the people of Israel. 
And from that temple in his vision, he saw water coming out of the temple. And then as Ezekiel was led through the vision, he was led, as Heather read just a couple of minutes ago, through increasingly deeper levels of water into where he could swim through the water into this place where this river of God flowed. And the river of God did this. Ezekiel says this, he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Can you say the word fresh with me? One, two, three. Fresh, interesting word fresh is, as opposed in this circumstance to salty. Now, raise your hand up if you've ever been to the Dead Sea. I've not been. I would really, really like to go. We've got one in our congregation this morning who has been to the Dead Sea. And Marge, when you went to the Dead Sea, did you sunbathe there? Did you, did you no, you, you didn't go out and sunbathe on the beach? There, you did what? You swam in the Dead Sea. Okay, so we have an eyewitness. Now, here is an image of the Dead Sea, and maybe Marge's experience comes close to this, but what's interesting about the Dead Sea is that it's full of what, Marge? Minerals and salt in particular, right? It's very salty. Are there any living creatures that you can see? No. So the salinity factor, now put it on your chemistry hat for just a moment. Now I had to think back to junior high science for this for a second, okay? Come with me. Put your thinking cap on. Now the salinity factor of the Dead Sea is five times greater than what would be allowable for something to live in it. So in other words, there's more salt by five times in the Dead Sea than any fish or any small microorganisms or anything could survive that you and I could identify. It's full of salt. Now, one of the reasons why is that the Jordan River, which you guys have heard about in Bible times, the Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, along with some other little tributaries that go into the Dead Sea. But basically, when water gets to the Dead Sea, it doesn't go through the Dead Sea to somewhere else. It stops there. And it's so hot and dry that what happens to the water, Marge? It evaporates. So you've got water from the Jordan River flowing into the Dead Sea, which by the way, and you can look this up, the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth that identifies as a crack in the earth's surface and is still just a crack in the earth's surface, but at its bottom level, it's 1,300 feet below sea level. It's actually the lowest place on earth where you could still say it's the earth's surface and yet it qualifies as a crevice or a crack. In that Dead Sea area, the water goes down in there and stops, and it's so hot and dry that as Marge said, and that's true, the water evaporates as quickly as it enters into the Dead Sea. So you could say that water goes there to die. You could say that living water, even though it's salty, it might have enough stuff, you know, enough of a salinity level where something could live. Water goes to the Dead Sea and it doesn't go anywhere. It just evaporates up. And what gets left in the Dead Sea? All the minerals and all the salt, right? So what happens is, as Marge probably had this experience, what you can do is if you visit the Dead Sea, you can actually float on the surface of it without sinking. Now, if you go back and read your science notebook from junior high, which I know every single person in the room still has, 
right? You go back and read your junior high science notebook. You'll note that if the density of the salt in the water is greater than the density of your body, what's going to happen to your body when you get on the surface? You'll float. So you can actually, like these people are doing, you can read a book or a newspaper just lying there on your back in the Dead Sea. Marge, what did you read? I know you were reading a book. You had to be, right? You had to be. Marge was reading something she may not remember, right, a long time ago. But anyway, what you're going to see is this beautiful imagery in Ezekiel. And in fact, the Apostle John had a very similar vision, which we'll get into next. You'll see this vision of a dichotomy. There's a difference between fresh water and way too salty water. The difference is this, you and I can drink the fresh water and it's good for us, right? But if we try to drink water from the Dead Sea, Marge, what happens? It's bad, don't, Marge, just wait for it. Don't ever go to the Dead Sea and drink the water. In fact, they tell you, do not put your face in the water. Don't drink it, don't get it into you. Now the, the, the minerals and you know, all the things that are floating around in the water, they're good for you in moderation. But if you try to drink that water, it could be deadly for you. In the same way, there's a dichotomy between a spiritual life and a spiritual death. There's a difference between fresh water and salt water. And in this illustration, the difference is life and death. In the fresh water, stuff can live. In the way too salty water, can anything live? No, it cannot live, right? It's the difference between life and death. In the spiritual world, there's a difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. Now, Ezekiel knows this, and God knows this, and of all people, Jesus knows this, and as we'll see in a minute, the apostle John knows this, but Israel had forgotten this. Israel had thought that the physical world was all there was, and then if they simply followed the rules, then they had a religion, but then they started to devalue God's rules because they disconnected the spiritual value of God's way of life. And God's way of life had to be retaught to them over and over again, that God's way of life is not something that you would consider an option. It is as critical as water is to your daily existence. If you look at the earth and see that the earth is three-fourths, the surface of the earth is three-fourths water, you look at your body, see how much water is in your body, you know how important water is. And God comes along and says this, I'm going to use an average everyday element like your water that you put with your crystal light and drank this morning with your eggs or you put in your coffee. I'm going to take this basic substance, this element of water, and I'm going to teach you about life with it. Look at this uh, scripture from Romans chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be made known about God. Now look at this part. What may be made known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. He says this, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, bigger than rules, bigger than simply studying a book and passing a test, there's something more to God. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, like water, like trees, like fruit, being understood from what has been clearly made so that people are what, church? Without excuse. So what does that mean? It means this, that God has given us the ability to understand his character and his nature. 
that there is a God, that stuff like what we have, like the beautiful combination of elements that come together to make water. And let's go back to chemistry class. What, what are the elements that make up water? You guys know H2O, right? What's the H? And what's the O? You guys, middle school science teachers would be jumping for joy right now because you know that formula, right? But we understand that those elements came together and made something beautiful and miraculous that we're dependent on. And yet we are tempted in the church along with Israel to throw our hands up and go, well, this stuff with God, I'll see if I can fit it in. This stuff with my time with God, this, you know, reading his scripture, you know, praying, you know, entertaining his spirit and growing with God, I'll see if I can make it work. The American church is so tempted to do this every single day, just like Israel was. Kind of look at the package of God and make God smaller than he actually is. Package him up and set him on a shelf along with other optional things where God says, no, my spirit is as big and as important to you as water. Church, how many days can you survive without water? Now, you got to look this up in your science notebook, right? It's three days without food. It's how many days without water? It, or maybe it's seven food and three water, right? Something on that order. We'll, we'll, figure, we'll Google it later, okay? And we'll share that, right? But it's not weeks, is it? It's not months. You can't go months and months without water. God makes it this clear. Now, I want you to see this. This is the Apostle John writing. He's having very similar visions about stuff like this. And as he's writing, the Apostle John, writing the book of Revelation. I don't know if you've ever read the book of Revelation before. He says this about how God uses water to teach us about his character. He says, I know you inside and out and find little to my liking. He's speaking specifically to a church that had turned its back on God. He says, you're cold, you're not hot, or you're not cold, you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant, you make me want to vomit. Now, how about that for strong language, huh? There's another translation that says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. He says, you brag, I'm rich, I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone, oblivious that in fact, you're pitiful, blind, beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Now, if you came to church expecting a message today that's uplifting and encouraging, you're gonna get it. It's coming, I promise. But it's like we talked about, God doesn't play games with you. God tells you the truth. He loves you. He wants to be truthful to you. Let me ask you a question. The last relationship you had that didn't have truth at the center of it and honesty at the center of it, how long did it last? It died like a fish in the Dead Sea, didn't it? The relationships that last are truthful and honest. In fact, Nicodemus was learning this from Jesus as a Pharisee following the rules, trying to please God, trying to be that great religious power in the kingdom of Israel. Nicodemus comes to humble Jesus at night so he wouldn't be seen. And he asked this question, you know, what is this water, what is this being born again stuff that you're talking about? Jesus says this to him, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of what church? Two things, water and spirit. Now, I'm not going to go into the vast, you know, the, the science, the detail of giving birth, but there's water involved, isn't there? That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about physical birth. 
And then also Jesus comes along and says what? The born again is being born in spirit. He says humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The apostle John had seen this happening when he was walking around with Jesus. And perhaps as he was walking around with Jesus and learning, he was exposed to the scroll of Ezekiel, to all those prophecies, to all those visions that Ezekiel had had. Maybe he went back in his Bible, the Bible of his day, and saw the visions that happened through Ezekiel, that God had entered into this conversation with Israel that included a very basic element of water, but then included with it what? Spirit. As much as the water flows in your life, God wants to take the Spirit and overflow in your life with it. If you could go home today and turn on a spigot or a faucet and let water just pour, you and I are truly blessed for being able to do that, right? But that's a fraction of the spirit that God wants to share with you of himself. That is a fraction of the presence of God that he intends to pour out upon you. When you get home today, go over to your kitchen sink and turn your water on and just let it run. That's how much God wants to pour his spirit out on you. But then imagine that your faucet blows up and the water just shoots out all over your kitchen. Take that in spirit language. That's how much God wants his spirit to pour out on you. And the vision and the truth of that comes through Ezekiel. And then as Ezekiel talks about what that looks like, he plants the seed in the apostle John who then echoes it. Here's what Ezekiel says. The swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for what? For salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of that river, the river that Ezekiel envisioned, found himself swimming in, right? Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them, the sanctuary from the new temple, right? Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. They could put the leaves on, on sores on the body and the leaves could bring healing, like a healing medicinal factor to the leaves being on the body. John has this vision in Revelation and see if some of this echoes with you based on what you just heard and read in Ezekiel. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb, church? Is Jesus down the middle of the great street of the city, the city of God. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, the tree of life that people were told not to pick and eat fruit from, right? Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. John sees the same vision that Ezekiel does, which means what? which means God has that vision for you and me communicated both in the Old and New Testaments for all people of all faith of all time. You are not responsible for healing yourself. You are not responsible for saving yourself. In fact, you can't do it. Spiritually, you can't do it. You can try all your life to do it. It is impossible. Thankfully, of that bad news, there's always what? Good news. 
The good news is that God is waiting there with an ever-flowing, never-ending source of life in His Spirit. It is His Spirit that pours out into you and me every day and gives us what, church? Life. That Spirit comes not just once, but every day you get up and get dressed and walk and breathe and turn the faucet on and get water. Let the water remind you that today the Holy Spirit of God pours out in abundance upon me. Because of the work of Jesus, I have God living alive in me. I don't know if you ever get the chance to swim in fresh water. It's different from swimming in salt water, isn't it? If you and I ever get the chance, like Marge did, to go to the Dead Sea, and I do hope to get that chance soon, and we experience what it's like to float on the surface of the water, reminding ourselves that we're surrounded by the very same thing that God intends to teach us about His Spirit and His presence. You know, down in Louisiana, something catastrophic happened for so many people. As it stands today, about a million people in the Louisiana area around where that storm hit, Ida. There are people without power and without what? Fresh drinking water. They are surrounded by water. Water that could take their lives. But on the same token, someone putting in the hand of a person suffering in that situation a clean bottle of crystal clear drinking water makes the difference between life and death, doesn't it? It's a similar thing with the Dead Sea. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. He can teach you by the things that are made, the things we see around us, the things we enjoy, the things that we get out of our faucet at home, who he is and how much he loves you. My friend, there is nothing that will keep you from receiving the Spirit of God as it flows out upon you. There is nothing that will keep you from receiving that through the power and the work of Jesus. As we close this series, will you join me in receiving that flow of the Holy Spirit through your faith in Jesus every single day for the rest of your life? Will you join me in that? even if it's for the first time. I pray you will. There's nothing like it. There's nothing more refreshing, nothing more strengthening, nothing more healing than the Spirit of God at work in you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving visions to people because even though they may be hard for us to understand sometimes, even though they may be mysterious and they need some explaining and exploring. You've made it possible for us to understand who you are and to be in your presence through the work of Jesus. So God, as we trust in you, we ask, even if it's for the first time, God, as we trust in you, we ask God that you go before us every single day and renew our faith. Help us to remember that you are there. You are the God who is there. You're not far off. You are near.
God, as we live this life and build in you a life of faith, help us to see that it's you, it is you, that it is you who is doing the building. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.